Hello again, and welcome back to the Break the Twitch podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters through minimalism, habits, and creativity. I'm your host, Anthony Ungaro. In this episode, I sit down with Andy George, the maker and mastermind behind the Simply Complex podcast and the wildly popular How to Make Everything YouTube channel that currently has over one million subscribers on YouTube. Andy shares how the YouTube channel got started from his desire to make a sandwich from scratch, from growing and harvesting his own wheat to milking a cow. The whole process took six months and $1,500 to make. We discuss the greater understanding that comes from sourcing materials and learning to make things we take for granted, like the food we eat, a formal suit, or even clear glass. Additionally, we talk about creativity, building a sustainable business, and the one thing Andy still prefers to make from scratch. Listening through this episode will inspire greater appreciation and curiosity for the everyday objects in your life. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by the Break the Twitch member community. If you're looking for tools, strategies, and a supportive community to help you remove distractions and do more of what matters every day, the member community is for you. Visit breakthetwitch.com community to learn more about the available resources and join up. But for now, let's start the show. Andy. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Good. You are one of the probably biggest Minnesota YouTubers. To my knowledge, yeah. I don't I don't know of many other that are around here, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I know. You know, there there uh haven't been able to meet a ton of other uh YouTubers in Minnesota here in Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast and uh and just hang out for a bit and, yeah. and, and talk. Glad to be here. So you uh, started a YouTube channel about uh, this stuff, which we'll be getting into shortly here. But mm-hmm. um, was that the first kind of thing that led you into getting into YouTube and that kind of thing? Or was there something that came before that? I was very hesitant about getting into YouTube in the first place. Um, but I, when I first shot, the, the whole series started with a, a sandwich I made and spent... Uh, a year basically making that and then I just kind of sat on the footage for two years kind of slowly editing it not really sure what I wanted to do with it um, and initially I got connected to um, an opportunity to make it as a local television show didn't have any budget um, but uh, that uh, didn't end up going anywhere and the content always felt more TV like it would be better for TV than for YouTube because it's long long content, a lot of work goes into it, or YouTube is just like quick videos. So I didn't really see a future there for this idea. But after trying on local television didn't go anywhere, then I cut it down into something I felt more appropriate for YouTube and threw it on there and ended up going viral with the uh, how to make a $1,500 sandwich in six months. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that kind of what, what is what launched it. Um, it's definitely been a lot of work since then to try and get to where we are now and trying to make 
a format that's not ideal for YouTube, make it in a way that actually works. Yeah, in terms of a business and yeah. making the content that you want to make, but mm -hmm. that is interesting that also overlaps with what people on YouTube want to see. Yeah. <laughs> which and, is kind of the challenge, right? Yeah, I'm trying to produce year-long projects and also releasing a video more or less every week. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, the years before. So yeah. you spend all this time making the documentary mm -hmm. uh, about the sandwich mm -hmm. from scratch. Yeah. Um, what, just take me back in the, uh, the life of Andy a few years before that and like, what were you getting into and what were, what kind of stuff were you, were you doing? I started six years ago. So I was like 24, I guess. Yeah. So I was in my early twenties. I had just finished college for, uh, for post-production, for video production. Um, and was getting into my first few jobs and they were mostly doing ads and stuff that I didn't really enjoy making. There's this stuff people fast forward through and it's like. I want to make the stuff people actually want to watch. And uh, I didn't really see a pathways to getting into that field. And I, in college, kind of developed obsession over documentary films. Um, I blame Netflix partially because mm. when they first started online streaming, they, the, the database was largely a lot of documentaries. And uh, I think I said like my summer break, just watching tons and tons of documentaries and just going really deep into that. And um, so after school, it was kind of what I wanted to go into, but I didn't know how. Um, and then at the same time, I'm just moving out on my own and kind of living on my own and learning how to live independent and getting more into cooking and kind of experimenting with that. And I think the, these two sides kind of united, united when I was just curious about what if you make food all the way from scratch and uh, I want to make a meal and um, see kind of just mostly just curious, like if you made it starting from growing it yourself, would it taste super awesome or would it just turn into a disaster? And uh, the latter ended up being more true, <laughs> but it was, it was a really fun journey. And uh, after I finally completed it, um, I realized I could do this with everything else. To me, this sounds fascinating in the sense of that you are reconnecting with the origins of the things in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like the sandwich, for example. We can just go buy a sandwich. Uh, we can have a sandwich delivered to us mm -hmm. at this point, and it just shows up, and we have a complete disconnect between mm -hmm. how that thing got put together, uh, the materials that it was made with, and there's a lot of people working very hard to modify things so that they're cheaper mm -hmm. and so that they taste better. For how cheap it is. Yeah. And so what has been your experience? Let's even talk about the sandwich, right? So mm -hmm. you spent six months. What was that process like? If you can kind of summarize what you went through to make the sandwich mm -hmm. and what was the result? Yeah, I think that, that definitely was something that I was tapping into. I think I'm just a naturally inquisitive person. I'm probably the kid that really annoyed their parents when I kept asking why. So I think this is just something I honed in on and like, I'm so disconnected from where my food actually comes from. Let's, what happens when I try to do it all myself? So it was a lot of uh, kind of having to learn as I go and realizing how little I do know. Just like just growing a garden. I grew up um, with my mom was a, a gardener and she would give me a plot and usually things would just die and I'd lose interest. And <laughs> so having to actually grow it myself was, uh, was a challenge. And like, I actually have to make sure this, grows and doesn't die. Otherwise I'm wasting all this time 
and I have to start all over again next year. It was like my commitment that like I have to show up in water every two days, otherwise it could dry out. Turned out most of it. A few crops just never even sprouted. <laughs> so in in uh, growing this stuff, like mm -hmm. for this particular sandwich, uh, you did ev like everything. So you didn't buy bread. Nope. No, you didn't even buy wheat. You like gathered yeah, I, the wheat. I got a community garden plot and grew the wheat, which was half the field. Our little plot was just the wheat. And um, then all the other vegetables, lettuce, tomato, cucumbers. What did you What did you learn about food through, <laughs> through that process? Like, what what kind of takeaways did you have? Um, like just how much goes into it, I guess, is the biggest thing, and all the processing steps. I feel like most people have kind of a vague idea of what what it takes to get your food. Like, oh, they they grow the wheat, they turn it into flour. And then they bake it into bread. You don't really like know how do you turn wheat into flour, and there's the whole process where you got to remove the chaff and use the wind or a fan. You make a huge mess in your apartment if you're me. <laughs> and then you have to grind it up and make a flour. And then there's different types of flours, and that depends on how you grind it and then how you separate it and all that. And um, just kind of details that kind of slip through the cracks until you actually dissect it and try and do it yourself. It's it's interesting hearing about this for me because my learning style. So I I actually I did like two years in college and ended up dropping out to go work when I was about twenty. Yeah, and it was because my learning style was very much like just digging into something and mm -hmm. trying it and probably failing in some capacity and yeah. then trying again. And I've always found that that's how I learn the best. Is mm -hmm. that does that resonate with you in terms of just? how you like learning? Because it seems like you're going yeah. through every step. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I can generally conceptualize things before by just reading it, but until I like actually do it with my hands, I feel like that's like really connects things in my brain. Mm -hmm. Like this is how a sandwich is made. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that has uh, grown your appreciation for the thing, everything now? Oh, definitely. It's It's hard to waste any food. Like, there's so much work that went into this. What has been the most challenging video for you to make so far, and and why? Like, what was the process? Uh, I don't know. It seems every project has its own challenges, and uh, it's hard to choose one. <laughs> the longest ongoing challenge has been glass, which trying to make on your own without, like, a professional studio is very, very difficult. And um, I'm, like, slowly acquiring more complicated equipment to make it a little bit easier and learning the science behind it, it still is a huge pain. Um, and it keeps breaking on me. <laughs> like I finally got it clear, and now it's just annealing it and getting it to something that work is super hard. Um, in terms of, like, longest time commitment and effort that had to go into it was probably the suit. That one um, blew the sandwich project out of the water just in how, how difficult it is. It wasn't something I expected. This clothing, you know, you go to Walmart, you buy a pack of t-shirts for 10 bucks. I didn't realize how much work actually goes into turning uh, cotton into actual uh, t-shirt. And like, you gotta spin it, you gotta weave it, and all that is just a lot of work. <laughs> it makes me think of, in the minimalism community, especially here on YouTube, and uh, there's a lot of talk about fast fashion, mm -hmm. about slow living, about slow fashion. So I'll ask you this, how how much should 
clothing cost? I, I don't have an exact number. Yeah. Um, I mean, my suit cost me $4,000, I believe. <laughs> Get these numbers mixed up. Um, but uh, that was me learning stuff and also having to fly to Texas to pick the cotton and drive to Colorado to pick hemp. hemp. Um, and uh, there's some extra costs that you wouldn't necessarily have and having to learn all the processes. But, I mean, paying $5 for a T-shirt is pretty insane. Given the, the, that these things have been done at such a large scale now and in terms of modern manufacturing and all this stuff, I get that the price can be driven down, but it it's it does seem crazy yeah. to me that things are becoming so disposable in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned your journey to make clear glass, mm-hmm. which I remember when I was a kid, uh, someone told me that you just kind of melt sand in it. it that's how glass is made. It's, yeah. you know, turned from sand to glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah. And I believe if I've, I've seen this, that that this has been a multi-part mm-hmm. series of, of trying to get there. Yeah. W- would you mind telling me just a little bit about that process? I think it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's basically where I started from knowledge-wise. Like, oh, you just melt sand and you get glass. <laughs> And then we started working with the glassmaker, and they're like, no, you got to add some other compounds like flux and stuff. And um, so then they we brought some sand, and they added the other stuff, and then we made glass. We made glass that way, which seemed pretty easy. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's not really fully from scratch because let's, let's try making the flux and everything to make my own glass and make actual glasses from it. And so I tried to do that, and it did not work at all. <laughs> I mean, we... Technically, I guess we made glass in the end after baking it long enough, but it was very opaque. It was just very cloudy and bubbles in it, and you couldn't see through it at all. I made glasses out of it anyways, <laughs> just for just for the humor. <laughs> yeah. And then we, I worked on trying to refine that and like figure out the problems and um, uh, had a few issues with how I made the flux. I tried to fix that and then tried it again, and then that wasn't any better. Um and uh, so it ended up being like a multi-part issue of what was and wasn't working, um, just not having the right equipment and then not being able to chemically purify stuff. And then I did a lot of tests after that and found that like even when I do um, purify it and use like or when I just use store-bought ingredients and try and do it, like even then it's really difficult unless you have the really expensive equipment. So then I realized, well, I need a better flux then. It came to my attention that there was a better flux. <laughs> so we went to California to collect it, staying with the uh, making it from scratch and collecting it from how it's naturally available, and um, got the borax and found that that was kind of the missing ingredient, that and some better kilns and um, removing impurities, just learning a little bit more chemistry. And now facing a whole new challenge of trying to anneal it, and I was able to get one pane of glass out um, it did crack in half, but uh, there's two two solid pieces. Um, but now my attempts are still keep not being able to anneal it quite right. <laughs> and annealing is, I actually, I'm pretty sure I know what it is, but yeah. is that making it so that it doesn't crack at all? Or Yeah. Um, so annealing is basically glass. It's kind of somewhat of a liquid when it's molten. And then as it hardens, the outside will cool faster. And that, and it, hot things will expand and shrink when they get colder. So then it's 
cooling unevenly and putting pressure on the glass. So then it'll just shatter if you don't anneal it right. Hmm. It's kind of a complicated mathematical question of figuring out your, your thickness and the materials of your glass. And um, there's a lot of extra variables that I have that make it a challenge to do it right every time. That's wild. And, and if you think about simply that we're sitting here in front of cameras yeah. with seven different yeah. pieces of glass in them, and they somehow create an image that looks probably like real life for the most part. Mm -hmm. And there's a chip on the other end and it's just capturing the information through it. Yeah. And what you're talking about, the process of like, let's just get this so that it's relatively clear and not colored in any way, green yeah. or blue or whatever. And you can buy a lens like this pretty cheap mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> for, for what it is. It's just, yeah. it's just really amazing to me. Uh, it, it just seems like there's a lot that I'm realizing I'm taking for granted as well in, in mm -hmm. this process. Is, is there something that you've discovered throughout this process uh, that you now prefer to create yourself instead of buying? Or are you like, that was way too hard? <laughs> you know, is there anything you found that's like better hmm. that you've been able to make yourself? That is a good question. Uh, I'd say a, a lot of times my end product is nowhere near as good. So a lot of times I just, I am thankful I can buy it. Um, I'd say with a lot of food stuff though, it's, it's some of the um, homemade versions I've made have been a lot better. Immediately coming to mind is uh, my uh, root beer float. And uh, got to get goat, goat milk and make my own ice cream, which I've, I've never had goat milk ice cream before. It's actually really good. Really I was surprised. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sweetened it with maple syrup and, um, and then made my own root beer. The root beer was a little different than like a store-bought. Um, I still liked it. I, th I think I might prefer store-bought root beer better, but combined together though, I mean, it was very good. <laughs> that would be, that would be unique. The, I've never had goat milk ice cream. I've had, yeah. I've had goat milk before mm -hmm. and it's definitely a distinct flavor and goat yeah. milk cheese. Yeah. So I'd be curious what the ice cream, did it have that same kind of like yeah. uh, punch to it? I don't know how to describe it, but it yeah. has like that uh flavor so the ice cream as well did you make it like vanilla ice cream or what how did it, how was it flavored as well uh i wanted to get vanilla we were in mexico and we went to a farm that had vanilla but we just missed it and it was already harvested <laughs> in, in asking that i had completely <laughs> forgotten that in order for you to do that you would have to get it or from a <laughs> yeah. place uh where they have it naturally so that that yeah. adds complexity yeah you think of vanilla as just it's just plain, yeah. but that's actually a specific spice that is a little difficult to get when you live in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine none of it, none of it grows here yeah. at all. When you're planning your videos and, and you're kind of figuring out what technology you're, you're going to tackle next, how do you figure that out? Does it sort of evolve or do you just have a method? Well, after I did the sandwich, I started wrote, writing a list of just like things that I thought would be interesting to make. And um, I think I'm only finally starting to get through that initial list. But the joy of this is that whenever I do a video that it then brings on ideas for like five more. So it's, it seems like an infinite list. Right now we're, we're uh, doing this at the end of the year. So on this stage, I'm kind of planning out all of next year. And that that's always a fun mess of uh, figuring out roughly what ingredients you need and how are you going to get them? Do we need to grow them? Do we need to start growing them right now so we have it in six months? 
Um, do we need to travel somewhere? And if we're going to travel somewhere, what are all the other things in that area we can collect to make it kind of worth the money? Because every travel expedition is pretty expensive. Um, so we got to make it worth it. And then like the, uh, what's the chronological order of them? I try to kind of build in complexity as I go. Um, so start with like, I made a candle and eventually you want to get to a light bulb. So there's going to be a few steps in between there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's what's going on in my head right now. Sometimes you feel like we haven't come that far. Mm -hmm. You have those moments, but my friend joked, joked with me, he said, look, I'll drop you off on an island, on a barren island, <laughs> and I'll give you my phone number. And when you call me, I'll come pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> the idea of trying to make a cell phone uh, from coconuts and, you know, <laughs> and sand and things that you find on a remote island is both hilarious and unreasonable, right? And yeah. so uh, do you think at some point you can see this your, your channel and the, the stuff you're doing, like, are you going to end up at a, making a cell phone someday or do you think you'll... I hope so. Yeah. At least a telephone is definitely on my list. Um, and one of the big things for this next year is trying to get into electronics and electricity. Um, one of the roadblocks for that was copper, which is a pretty big component for pretty much every electronic. So that, that's going to open up a whole other door. And that's, that's something I don't have a lot of knowledge about. Um, not that I know anything before, but like for me, technology, I know how to use technology, but how it actually works is might as well be magic to me. I'm both intrigued to dig into that and learn it. And then I think I'm surprised like how feasible it is because um, making glass and stuff is difficult, but I, it makes sense. Like, yeah, somebody can make glass, like somebody can make a computer just so much I don't understand that it's it may as well be learning sorcery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it seems the idea of making a microchip. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a bit just about your processes of of developing these things, getting each raw material, but making the most simple microchip for like an Atari sixty four, you know, like an original Atari or something. Yeah. Uh, that even that to me is overwhelming to think about where I would even start with that. Yeah. So I, I can imagine that. But as each step comes along, you kind of learn a little bit more and mm -hmm. you get to the next next part of the uh, process. Yeah. yeah. It, it's. I think what's interesting is that just how much experimentation and learning we've had to do over millennia of humanity's lifetime just to like get to the building blocks of what we're able to use today, like being able to refine metals and make glass and get all these compounds. And now like the past hundred years, we're just like, finding ways to use them in kind of developing our technology. So it's like, it seems like we've developed so much in a hundred years, but it took millions of years to get to that step. Even the most raw materials. Yeah. So a big part of Break the Twitch is our framework around the ideas of minimalism, removing distractions, mm -hmm. habits, doing more of what matters each day, and creativity. So uh, exploring creative solutions to the problems you may be facing in life or just creating stuff in general. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really curious how some of those things have impacted your life as a creator, being someone that is cranking out this content that requires some a lot of planning and, mm -hmm. and creativity and how you tackle these things. Um, is there a way that, that you actively 
try to remove distractions. You can focus on this stuff. I think there's there's things that are like rabbit holes of that I try to avoid of like um, reading the comments, <laughs> and um, I think I can easily get distracted by um, things like that or a lot of worrying. Just like, is this gonna succeed or fail? And there's, there's so many unknowns. Just starting something new like this that, um, ironically, that's kind of been the the million subscriber mark that's been kind of on my mind of since the beginning of like that's what a real YouTube channel has. And until you have that, you're not. It's, who knows if it's gonna succeed or fail? And now we're just on the brink of reaching a million. So that's both exciting and then starting to kind of realize that like this is what it is now like i should be able to make this work now <laughs> mm -hmm. i can i can relate to that uh in the sense that i mean i think the breakthroughs youtube channel as of you know mid-december now is i think fifty-six thousand subscribers mm -hmm. um and it's like i remember getting the first thousand subscribers yeah and thinking like okay that's cool but won't ten thousand be cool mm -hmm. and you get to ten thousand it's like whoa this is cool it's something you know there's videos are actually getting views now when I upload them and yeah. and stuff like that. And then to 50 and in my brain now, I'm like, the plaque would be cool. Like the yeah, <laughs> 100,000 yeah. subscribers would be really cool. And that's my kind of my goal now for where I think uh, this can be a lot more sustainable mm -hmm. for that kind of thing for us. It's just fascinating. And I'm pretty sure that once I hit, once we hit 100,000, it'll be like, well, 250,000 would be nice or yeah. and a million, you know, it's, it's, uh, how have you, how have you handled that do you do you feel like the target just moves oh definitely and i mean we remember being at fifty six thousand. that's like where we kind of plateaued after the initial um viral of the sandwich and then it just seemed like we're just stuck here like this isn't a lot <laughs> and um i think every milestone after that is felt so far off and then we reach it social blade does projections of when you're going to reach milestones I remember back then checking like, oh, it's going to take 14 years for us to reach a million. <laughs> YouTube might not be around in 14 years. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've checked those projections too. They're hilarious. It's like, yeah. oh, 2025, I'll, <laughs> I'll hit this thing. Perfect. That's great. That's great. It, it is amazing how YouTube works just with the, you'll make a video and it'll do way better than than usual or, or not. And mm -hmm. um, you kind of just have to, I mean, you've obviously seen this with your channel now. What I've found is like, the biggest thing you can do is just be consistent mm -hmm. and adapt. Uh, yeah. If you're consistent in doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over, it, mm -hmm. it really, you're going to have a slow road. But um, if you experiment, try, test different things, uh, you'll you'll get there. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that's like the biggest challenge is both trying to be aware of what is and isn't working and kind of reading people's reactions, but also not going into a, a pitfall of just, becoming obsessive and like we're not reaching this milestone and we're not growing fast enough. And um, I think being aware of that is kind of a difficult balancing point. If you don't mind talking about that a little bit, because sure. that's that's something, I mean, stress, worry, uh, these are things that we're uh, dealing with. Mm -hmm. I, you know, Amy and I deal with this stuff just in terms of figuring out the logistics of running a business like this time and creating stuff that people want to see and, and all this other stuff. Are there kind of ways that you manage that actively, that that stress or that worry so that you can just do your best work? It's hard to be creative when you're stressed. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've found. Yeah. yeah. It, it's something I, I keep coming back to, unfortunately, but I think a big thing is just reminding myself why I'm doing this, that I'm not 
necessarily doing it for the money or the fame or um, or the views. <laughs> um, I'm I'm doing it because I enjoy it, and I'm I'm intensely curious. And being able to dig in and do all these projects is just amazing. And it, it's kind of if I wasn't getting paid, I would still want to be doing this. So it's a great opportunity. So when I focus on that, then it doesn't matter if people dislike my videos or if views are going down. Uh, I'm still doing what I want to do. The fact alone that you spent two years filming something without an is mind blowing to me, right? <laughs> like even uh, on the timelines that we've we've had a project that you know we'll film for a week, mm -hmm. and we'll get B-roll in certain places and we'll do certain things, but that's about as long as most of the stuff we've done. And uh, so just thinking about working on that content, that project, that's awesome. And it's clear that you're driven by wanting to learn and just yeah. grow this stuff. So what about, what about like habits? Uh, do you have a morning routine or an evening routine? Or is there any kind of routine that you stick to that helps you with this stuff? Not really. <laughs> that's totally, yeah, totally fair. A lot of people yeah. don't. <laughs> like I probably should, but one thing I'm trying to transition into is kind of a more stable work-life separation because for the majority of this, it's I've been like filming in my own apartment and editing it in my extra bedroom and all of that. Um, but recently we got, the summer we got our own studio space. So it's been kind of a challenge of separating it and trying to get to like reasonable work hours because it's been a lot of just like burn sessions and just like staying up all night to get a video done so we can release it and um, trying to get out of that because it is kind of destructive to my personal life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, we've, we've experienced that too, probably in a different capacity um, because again, we're, we're not doing stuff that is involving footage from all over the country in different times and things. But, yeah. but uh, that was one of the things Amy and I have been doing this uh, full time now since October of last year. Mm. So we're over a year of doing this full time together now. And it's been this, um, really incredible learning and process of learning to try to set our own boundaries for things as a husband and wife, like when are we working and when are we yeah. not working and, yeah. and being together all day, but then not being together in a business capacity, like, Hey, let's go be a normal couple for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, that has been one of the biggest struggles of this thing. And I never expected this. Um, yeah. I never expected that aspect of the difficulty of like just creating boundaries of having the a day that looks like a normal work day mm -hmm. instead of like, Oh, we work a little bit, eat, work more, yeah. eat, go work out, come back, work until we're tired and kind of, it, it just doesn't, it, it's really, I never expected it to be this challenging in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. What does, maybe a typical day look like for you right now, if there is a typical day? Generally, so there isn't too typical, um, but usually get into the office and do the normal morning routine of checking emails and um, responding to stuff that needs to be responded to. Um, and then, it, then at that point, it's very variable. It's either like a production day where I need to make something and film it or I need to go and meet with an expert and do an interview or editing something. Um, I'd say a lot of my time is just kind of in pre-production, just kind of like figuring out how we're going to do the next step. It's a lot of time just at the computer, like Googling 50 different things, trying to put the pieces together so we can move forward. 
that, that that is always the challenge that uh there's always something you you didn't account for there's always something you need to uh uh adapt to as you go i guess that's my average day <laughs> so you've been doing the youtube videos for years now um and you recently started a podcast yeah what drove the decision to change the format up like that it was actually uh actually offered a deal by um our mcn um multi-channel network uh studio 71 um to get on board i think they started a podcast division or something like that um so they were interested in bringing youtubers onto as podcasters and kind of tapping a new market just something I was kind of hesitant at first. Our workload is already overwhelming. So adding a whole other content type just seemed like a horrible idea. <laughs> but then they were willing to offer us uh, a budget. And like that, like, oh, <laughs> that's very different than like trying to do something on our own. We, there are kind of side projects we've tried to launch that um, you put a ton of time into and then you have no idea if there's going to be any payoff for it. But like with th this deal, we knew even if it fails, we're going to get at least this amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, so that was definitely a, a motivating factor was having that kind of safety net to it. Then it's been kind of a, a challenge of carving out the time in my schedule to actually do it. The best part about it is I'm trying to be as hands-off as possible. We have um, somebody we've collaborated with a lot in making the series, uh, Taylor, and he's been in, pretty much in charge of the podcast. Um, he's an audio guy, so he, it's kind of, his world. <laughs> it's been kind of interesting to kind of take my hands off the wheel with uh, how to make everything, the YouTube channel. It's been very um, all up to me. And as we've grown, I've been learning to let go. And it's something that's probably a big goal for next year is letting go more of it. Um, but the podcast is something I'm trying to be as hands off as possible and let other people kind of drive it in their direction. And um, if we start to go off a cliff, I might jump in but <laughs> right right I, I guess it's kind of exciting because it's it is a different format so it's something that mixes it up and doing audio is so different from doing video and um we have different um challenges where like video on youtube i feel like needs to be as short as possible and so people don't click on something else or with a podcast like people hit play and then they drive or do something so they they don't mind a long, longer form um which is kind of nice because we do a lot of interviews with people for the uh, YouTube and we end up cutting out so much of it. And uh, so being able to kind of revisit that or um, kind of save the good interviews for the podcast is uh, something I'm looking forward to. So you, you have someone doing the editing, right? Because that, to me, it seems like that would be one of the most time, time consuming aspects. Yeah, I think uh, up to just recently, it's been pretty much me. Um, doing majority of the editing. Um, I had other people doing parts of it, assembly, but then I would do the final and end up be the person who's up all night to finish it and get it out. As we're going forward, we're trying to expand and get that off my plate. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's one of the, the things I've been curious about too is going from being a YouTuber to more of something that looks like a production company. Mm -hmm. And how does one effectively do that without getting a bunch of funding, uh, things like that up front in order to scale before it's quite ready. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time I feel like for the the content that YouTube requires, people, you want good content and helpful content and interesting content. Mm -hmm. And in order to produce that, it's really hard uh, 
Uh, a lot of people do daily vlogging, stuff like that. But it's really hard to produce something good and helpful and what I'm sure to you feels like valuable, interesting stuff mm -hmm. uh, by yourself. Mm -hmm. And But then the idea of scaling up, that's something that I'm trying to figure out too is from here, we have this, so Break the Twitch has this uh, member community that's basically like Patreon. And so we have this amazing community that are supporting the work so that they're getting stuff, but also the public stuff is going out and it's making it more possible to do this more sustainably. But mm -hmm. um, I just wonder, like, when is the right time to hire a part-time person to help with social media and editing? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. have you figured out if there is there a formula? What yeah. is what is the what is the formula? <laughs> uh, I mean, that, I feel it's probably one of our biggest challenges. Is that we started out as a, a three person team, because then all the money is split three ways, so it's hard to afford <laughs> to pay anybody. On top of our whole concept being super difficult and expensive, um, so like if I had been able to do this by myself, I would have been at a better. I would have been more comfortable with financially and everything a lot sooner yeah it, it becomes it goes from creative pursuit to figure a creative pursuit to business problem yeah of figuring out how to uh sustainably grow i, I have a friend that that grew a pretty big online business hired a bunch of people and then eventually scaled back because yeah. he realized that he didn't get into it to manage a bunch of people yeah it does make you question like where is that place that is going to be where you're actually creating the stuff mm -hmm. instead of managing stuff yeah and uh that's another challenge to face i honestly used to think youtubers had it so good <laughs> and and this is work we choose right yeah and so for that we do feel totally blessed but i remember before i started on youtube and i would see like casey neistat or you know d different people making stuff uh, it's like, you just make a video and upload it? It's like, no. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so much that goes into this stuff yeah. uh, that to to make it worthwhile and to make it work. Uh, so that perspective definitely changed quickly. Yeah, I, I get jealous of people who do videos that seem so much easier to make. Um, but then I've collaborated with some people and they're facing some of the same problems of like having to release regular content, but then also be editing the, the night before staying up all night is like oh you do that too yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah like it's it's not easy for many people i mean maybe vloggers you can just turn it on record it and get instant success that way uh, <laughs> but for most people it's it's a grind and um there's money there but i don't feel like it is really en enough to make it worth it if you don't love what you're doing you gotta want to do the thing to begin with yeah yeah definitely what's what are some what are some things that you're looking forward to right now right now i'm trying to figure out how to make a lens and keep running into issues of not having the right equipment or not having the right know-how um so that one keeps getting delayed and um so i'm gonna be very happy when i can finally get the lens done because that's gonna combine some other challenges of making glass and um making optics which i didn't do super great for my previous attempts at eyeglasses and a telescope. So it's going to be kind of accumulating a lot of failures into a success. But uh, right now I keep failing. <laughs> so um, getting that done and completed is what I'm looking forward to now. And then 
being done with it, move on to another stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess I would rely on the the clear glass. Yep. And then sh actually shaping it into something that mm -hmm. shoots an image into a box. Yeah. Even the film. Yeah, and then that's that's a whole other obstacle I'm going to add on after the lens <laughs> is making the film. Huh. Would that be like, uh, would you go all the way back and do like a silver plate kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, and I collected silver two years ago, I think it was, with the eventual intent of using it for making film. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Just the the forethought into the elements. I imagine you just, if you see something, you just pick it up now, right? <laughs> like, like you're like, hey, that looks like uh, this element or something. Yeah. You just get it because you never yeah. know, right? Yeah. I have a bunch of random stuff that just like came across it and like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I need to collect it. I have like uh, buckets of gypsum sand we collected because there's these dunes in Utah that are made mostly out of gypsum. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I have it. <laughs> yeah. Inevitably, everything goes into stuff at yeah. some point, right? Yeah. How has that changed your perspective about the way the world works just in the process of collecting this stuff? Yeah, I mean, when I first started, it tended to be more like agriculture and growing stuff, and that changed my perspective a lot um, with animals and harvesting cotton and everything like that. Um, recently, we've been getting more into minerals, and that's always been something that I understood less, I guess, it's like where you just go out and grab a rock and you make metal out of it. How does this work? So that's been very much changing my perspective of like going to an actual mine and seeing these kind of strange green rocks and collecting some of that and then actually getting out a copper metal from it. What other types of technologies or, or projects are you kind of thinking about right now? I think I mentioned before the uh, electronics and electricity. Um, that's that's my big goal for next year. Um, is to get, start moving into that. And we also just started a, a series on making musical instruments. So I made a drum, and then I can eventually add to it. Um, I'm going to be meeting with a uh, gu guitar maker soon, and um, there's kind of, one's kind of unlimited of how many different musical instruments there are. So I'm looking forward to like slowly building up my own band of my own instruments, <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually want to make like a, a phonograph to record it and then make it into a record. <laughs> you do really have unlimited content, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just every single, uh, just even looking, you know, just looking around what's happening right now, the microphone to mm -hmm. the computers, recording and cameras and all these different things all come from these these things. And uh, you have, you have, you'll have plenty of content for the rest of time. As yeah. long as YouTube's around, you, you'll have uh, stuff to make. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting that now I'm kind of, going into stuff that I, I didn't think I could have in the beginning. When I started out, it was a sandwich. I was like, I can make sandwiches, I can make different food items, I can make, make clothing. Now it's like, now I'm going to make a computer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm excited for that video when we start processing zeros and ones uh, <laughs> yeah. through, through microprocessors and such. <laughs> Behind you over there is the, yes, it is the vase or vase of questions. These have been left by previous guests and uh, and a couple YouTube commenters. Um, and then Amy and I created a, a couple to get things started for season one. So you may get any of those things, but go ahead and pull a question out. You can dump it out if you want to go into the bottom there. Um, and then we'll have you question. Then we'll be having you submit your own as well at the end of the interview. When you slip up, how do you reset? Renew 
Risa, renew to continue. Okay, who is who is that? Is that a Jessica Chung? Oh yeah, Jessica Chung, previous uh, previous guest, season one and podcast. She's also a, she's a YouTuber as well, actually. So if I'm ever super stressed or frustrated or anything like that, I go for a run, and that's that's usually my default reset. Um, there's times in my life when I've been injured and un unable to run, and those are the worst. <laughs> it's like I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I need to go for a run. <laughs> Well, that brings up another question now. So, uh, running is totally a habit. Mm -hmm. Um, how did that, how did that start? Did you start early on or was it something you came into later? Uh, something I came into later, um, it was kind of in my sandwich era <laughs> when I was just out of school and I was kind of getting frustrated with life and disappointed, um, with how my life had been going and I wanted to change something about myself. Just just the goal I had of like, I don't like where I'm at. I want to change this. So what's one thing I can change? And I had never been athletic. Um, I thought I had heard about the couch to 5k. Like, oh, that sounds really easy. I mean, growing up, I they always do like a mile run at school and stuff. I never been able to run it. Never ran, ran an actual mile. Um, so I just started doing it. And I found it was actually not that hard. And before I knew it, I had to like do the kilometer to mile transit translation to like oh i've been running a mile for the past couple of weeks <laughs> and i just kept going from there and i did the, the couch to 5k then i went to the 5k to 10k and then i was like all right i'm just going all in i'm just gonna do a marathon whoa <laughs> yeah um so uh then i started marathon training and i think i went from like a year and a half from never being a runner to running my first marathon and that i feel like it's kind of been kind of the foundation block to a lot of my life of just i don't of initially thinking i can't do this to doing it all the way to an extreme of a marathon yeah that's that's <laughs> incredible i mean that's a big habit thing mm -hmm. uh do you have do you go a couple times a week like what what is your are you still trying to run consistently now like that i try to uh i actually have an injury right now that oh. i'm like trying to get over or whatever, probably just getting older. And I guess my running technique isn't perfect. So I need to retrain it. <laughs> getting older, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amy and I have been for the last year have been doing a, a program called strong lifts. Well, we just kind of been working out, but the, the strong lifts thing has been just over the last six months or so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start, you're doing like squats and, and yeah. deadlifts and overhead press and bench press and stuff. And uh, it's amazing what just slow, just small, continuous, change mm -hmm. allows you to create. Uh, when I started out, I was trying to squat about 110 pounds mm -hmm. and a friend of mine introduced me to it and he had me do it a couple times, couple reps with about a hundred, I don't know, 110 pounds. And, uh, I couldn't walk for two weeks. <laughs> it was really bad. Yeah. Um, and, but then that got me hooked and I realized that I could squat. I was always afraid of my knees and other mm -hmm. issues like that. Cause I've yeah. always had bad knees. Yeah. And uh, slowly but steadily between March and now in December, I just kept doing it a couple times a week and work my way up. And I'm like repping 275 now on the, the squats. And never in my life did I think that that would even be remotely possible. Mm -hmm. And it just, it just speaks to the power of just get out there, do a little bit, do it over and over and over again. Well, Andy, where can people find you online? Uh, so 
Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash makeeverythingtv. And uh, our podcast is called Simply Complex, and you can uh, find it on pretty much any podcasting platform. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, uh, it was a pleasure to, to meet you and chat and, and uh, look forward to more of your stuff coming up. Thank you. All right. And just like that, our conversation is over. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It is a huge help to podcasts like this one to get the word out about it to others. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'll see you in the next one.